Okay, got it. So you're at about $83,000 a month in revenue across 10,000 customers. Correct. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, so, so that's about more like an average of $8 per customer per month, Correct. something like that. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to getlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at getlatka.com. Hey folks, my guest today is Oleg Mukhanov. He's the co-founder and COO slash CFO at SteadyPay, an award-winning London fintech focused on providing income stability solutions for the gig economy. Also an angel investor and advisor to early stage startups. He was previously a partner and COO at a London and New York-based venture capital fund called Enso Ventures, as well as executive director of some of their portfolio companies. Oleg, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah. Uh, All right, thank you so- for having me, Nathan. This is sort of like buy now, pay later, but for personal paychecks, huh? Uh, well, yes and no. So what we're effectively doing is new type of SaaS. We like to call it salary as a service, right? And use new use for the same abbreviation. So effectively what's tackling is that about 50% of the workforce globally do not have fixed paycheck, meaning that some months, weeks, or fortnights, they earn above average. Sometimes they earn below average and whatever they earn below average, there is not much they can do because they're usually priced out of the traditional market, can ac- access traditional products. So what we do, we automatically provide them the shortfall if they earn below average and they repay us when they earn above average. So effectively, we convert irregular pay to a fixed salary and we do not charge interest. We just charge a membership fee. Think about us as Netflix for credit. And this makes a lot of sense, but I guess my question is, how does someone establish to you? What data do they have to give you so you can establish what the average is? Uh, that's actually the cool trick which we're doing, and that's why we could grow so quickly. We connect directly to their bank accounts, and we use technology to actually get all the data. So any, everything from ID check, KYC, IML, establishing that credit risk, as well, their average and tracking it in real time is done by tech directly to the through the banking connection. So in the UK, we use something called open banking. In other countries, we might use API connections, screen scraping or whatnot. That's why effectively customers um, can onboard in two or three minutes and the rest is done automatically. So when you look at your entire user base using you right now, what, what is for the average paycheck per, per month, would you say? Yeah, so we're talking at pretty close to the average income in the UK. So we're talking about 2,000 pounds, call it 2.5 thousand dollars net into your bank account after taxes. So that's kind Online. of low, mid to mid level of income. So basically the backbone of the UK economy. That, that's per month, per month, right? Correct, correct. Okay, so now let's say I'm a user, just so my audience can really understand this. Let's say April has been a bad month for me. You see via my open banking API connection that I've only collected net after taxes about $1,500. You'll give me an extra $1,000? Correct. So no questions asked as long as you're within the risk parameters. Um, yeah, you just get automatically another 1K into your bank account to make up for it. And because, when do I? how long do I have to pay that back? Oh, it depends on how much you earn next month. So for instance, next month you can earn another 200 
dollars below your average will give you some more money to make up for it. Obviously, there is a limit depending on the customer. So we're aiming for about 1,000 pounds per customer limit. But effectively, you pay us back only when you earn at or above average. Mm-hmm. So the, the obvious question is, what if my business is declining and I never earn, have a month again where I go above average? How do you, get, you ever get your money back? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, there are two things to keep in mind. Number one is we do not charge interest, but we do charge membership. So as long as you pay a membership fee, we still make certain amount of economics from our customers. And number two, it's underwriting. At the end of the day, we provide a credit to our customers and there is no escape from the fact that some of the customers might not pay us back. Some customers would default. And that's where the whole magic of using open banking and machine learning uh, to actually identify uh, good customers comes, comes in play. I see. Okay. What's the membership fee per month? So membership fee depends on the tier of the product, but for our flagship product, it's four pounds per week or uh, 16 pounds per month, give or take. Okay. So about 20 US dollars on average per month, something like that. Okay. Interesting. So $20 per month. And then I guess now that we sort of understand pricing, what the product is, put this all on a timeline for me. When did you write the first line of code for the platform? Um, So we started in 2018 and we Mm -hmm. started two workflows in parallel. Um, One is writing our MVP, but at the same time, getting approval with our regulator in the UK, FCA, because it's such a new product and nobody has done it before. We actually went through the sandbox program. So we were working directly with the regulator to figure out what would be the right regulatory framework for us. Um, Then we launched um, a closed pizza for our product in beginning of 2019. So we had 100 people um, to test whether it works or not. Um, Then closed our first institutional round in the end of 2019 and started scaling up in the beginning of 2020. And so how much did you raise in 2019? So in 2019, we raised uh, less than a million in total between family and friends and bootstrapping between uh, the founders. Then at the end of 19, we raised um, just over 1 million pounds of equity and 1.5 millions of debt to actually provide lending to our customers. And then we just closed a couple months ago our Series A with another 5 million. Okay. So just because, sorry, in 2020, 1.5 million equity and 1.5 million debt. So in 20 and the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, 1 million of equity, 1.5 million of that. Before that, call it half a million of equity and now another 5 million of equity. Got it. So you just this year raised another 5 million of equity. Any more debt or you're still using that million dollar facility? Uh, We're in the process of actually refinancing it as we speak as a next step. Ah, very cool. Okay, cool. Um, Got it. So I guess... I guess, well, I guess the right question is, so today, how many customers are you serving? Yeah. So currently, as of today, we have 10,000 customers on our platform. Oh, well, that's a big milestone. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Can I take 10,000 times $20 a month? You're doing about $200,000 a month in revenue from fees? Uh, yes and no, because customers are on a different tier of the offering because that's the revenue for the top tier. And the lowest tier is $5 per month, which is credit building only. So effectively, if you take the average, um, you're getting just over 1 million annual recurring revenue right now. Okay, got it. So you're at about $83,000 a month in revenue across 10,000 customers. Correct. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, so so that's about more like an average of $8 per customer per month, Correct. something like that. Yeah. Because okay, there is congr- a job TS on the customers. Congrats on making the, breaking the million dollar mark. That's obviously a big milestone. Where were you exactly a year ago? Do you remember? Uh, exactly a year ago, we were at about... 
uh, what was it? Um, about 4,000 customers. So we okay. increased our customer base by two and a half times. Yeah. So you grew from like $32,000 a month to $83,000 a month, right? Yeah. yeah. And managed no. to do it actually in a cost efficient manner. So not only we grew to 1,000 to 1 million annual recurring revenue, we actually broke even at that stage, which is quite exciting. Broke even last year? Yeah. Very cool. Obviously, you raised more today, so you're maybe burning. Now, when you raise that 5 million seed, most, I mean, most of the metrics I'm seeing say when folks are raising their seed, you're selling, you know, between 10 and 20% of the business. Were you in that same range? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're about a 40 million valuation, something like that, 30, 40 million? Uh, well, I'm not going to give you exact number, but it's getting close to that. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Got it. So less than 30 million valuation, but still healthy. Talk to me a little bit more about the warehouse facility. I mean, I'm very familiar with sort of bankruptcy remote SPVs, these FinTech folks raising balance sheet capital. You're usually raising a warehouse facility and you've got to pay an interest rate on that million dollars you raised, right? So, yeah. I mean, is that how yours works? Uh, well, it's more like an RCF. So, or you can call it accordion facility. So you break real limits and then you do monthly drawdowns and you pay interest on the drawdown portion. So our original facility actually is quite healthy from the interest perspective, but does carry some warrants, as you can expect in the early stage facility. Um, uh, but no commitment fee or anything, which is which is quite exciting. I think the next next facility which we're raising right now will be with no equity equity element, but we'll probably start have to pay some commitment fees, moving more into the kind of institutional style facility. Yeah, commitment or unused fees, right? So if it's a $10 million facility, you only use $2 million, you have to pay fees on the $8 million you haven't deployed yet. That, that's right. Which brings up a big question for you, right? So like your ability to recycle capital quickly, especially over years, ultimately what generates, you know, could generate an interesting return for you. Um, yeah. You know, you don't have to call it an interest rate, but just to be clear, you're like, let's say I then, that, that example earlier, right? I'm only making 1500 this month. You give me another thousand. Let's say the next month I make 3500. Do I pay you back that full thousand that next month? Exactly a no. thousand? You don't. So actually, when you get a top up, you've got uh indicative repayment schedule and it depends on your payment cycle. So if you'd say on the monthly payment cycle, usually repay it within three months. If you have a big balance, if you have average balance two months, if you have a smallish balance, it's one month. Because we've done a lot of uh, modeling and analysis of the cash flows of our customers to figure out what actually healthy for them, not only from a top-up perspective, but also from the repayment perspective. Well, if you force me to take three months to repay it, though, and I'm paying a $20 a month fee, that's a $60 fee against a $1,000 loan, which is effectively 6% over three months, correct? Yeah. So our annual uh, interest is at 20.8%. Yeah. Yeah. So you can back it. You've structured this in a way where it's not actually sort of an interest rate because you have a fixed fee model, but because of how you structure the timing, you can really back into an interest rate of about 20% on your, on your facility. Correct. Um, yeah. And the, the way we wanted to structure it on one hand to make it reasonably priced, but on the other hand, to actually make it simple for the customers. Because if you look at the majority of customers uh, in this income bracket, the level of financial sophistication is not that great. And people genuinely either do not understand interest or intentionally do not want to understand how it works. Yeah, <laughs> I would completely agree with that. So as of today, like right now, how much total yeah. capital do you have deployed out of your facility? Oh, that's really good. That's a really good question. Um, it's safe to say that over the last two and a half years, we recycled facility more than twice already. 
many of you guys listening have built incredible SaaS tools to help other founders, specific industries, really get value or make some system easier. The problem is you can't help your clients until they import some portion of their data. And you've considered on your Trello board and your Sprint timelines, spending weeks building a CSV importer for certain data sets. You're smiling right now because you know I'm right. And either you do it and you waste engineering time or you don't do it and your customers have a horrible time getting onboarded. And listen, let's face the facts. Your ability to give value to your customers sometimes is very dependent on their ability to get you their data. Once you have the data, everything is really smooth. Well, this exact problem probably explains why FlatFile is growing so quick. They've raised over $44 million and they do exactly this, the data onboarding platform for your marketing teams, your engineering teams. They enable you to get usable data faster so you can focus on what matters most to your business. And the fastest growing companies like my friend ClickUp, Zeb, multi-billion dollar valuation, they all use FlatFile. Now, FlatFile reached out, they wanted to sponsor. I said, do you got a good deal for us? And they do. For anyone listening, any Anyone that's part of the top entrepreneurs community or GitLatka, you can get a deal now to get started today at nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file. And they make it so easy, by the way. Their onboarding is beautiful. You don't have to commit to a bunch of stuff. You can actually see a demo live instantly right now. Check it out. nathanlatka.com forward slash flat file. Okay, so you've deployed more than $2 million in total sort of loans done effectively. So actually, uh, if I convert into dollars, we're talking closer to $3 million of loans advanced over that period of time. I see, I see. And so how do you determine what size of the, your next warehouse facility should be? It's tricky math to do because you're constantly having to recycle. So you have to project and forecast demand. Yeah, correct. So um, good old financial modeling and forecasting. You basically... By calculate how many customers you will get, then you split them between different subscription tiers. You take the average balance per customer at any point in time, and that's how you get to your target facility size. So, okay. but if you uh, look at your utilization on your current million dollar facility, I mean, is it fair to say you probably have like 800, 900,000 of it out right now? It's basically fully deployed. Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, interesting. And if you, if you needed to do more top ups, but you've already used your whole warehouse facility, you could dip into your equity if you wanted Correct. until you raise the next warehouse facility, right? Correct. Yeah. And are you only, have you generated capital stack here or is all your capital just coming from this one provider, the $1 million warehouse? No, actually, uh, depending on the business lines, because we're doing pilots of another business line where we have another finance provider. So we have um, two groups of finance providers at the moment. Okay. Okay. And most of these initial warehouse facilities into fintech companies like yours, you're typically have one to 2% warrants, which you've already addressed. There's also usually an interest rate of something between like 10 and 13%. Were you guys in that range? Well, a bit higher, but yes. Okay. So call it north of 13%. So if you're making 20% minus 13%, you have a spread of about 6% on a million lent out. So that's additional revenue for you on top of the million dollar right. SaaS run rate, right? Yeah, but if you actually look at it, that's the most expensive pricing you will ever pay. And you pay just to do the proof of concept. Because if you actually look at the warehouse facility at the good size, call it 5 million plus, you're probably looking at um, high single digits, low double digits without equity, meaning that you're not going to make much of the economics in early stages when you're proving the concept. It's only when you start scaling up and refinance, that's where the majority of economics will start trickling in. 
Yeah, well, that's that used to be true, but with the current interest rate environment, it's becoming harder and harder to figure out for fintech companies what yields and spreads might look like four or five years from now, you know, even one year from now. So, I mean, I know a lot of people that raised a warehouse facility at fourteen percent, then they got it down to eight percent, but it's floating against SOFR, right? Yeah. And so, if it's floating, you have no idea what you're you're not in control yeah. of your yield moving forward. So, like. It's very interesting to me. You're going through this right now. I mean, how are you thinking about locking down that warehouse facility? Would you prefer a fixed rate that's higher or one that's variable but lower to start with? Um, I would say a couple of things to keep in mind. One is I prefer fixed. Um, again, it's a little bit easier because we pay fixed um, subscription to all customers and we pay fixed interest. So it's actually quite good natural hedge in a way because we do not have any floating rates. But second one, we can always uh, play around with the composition of our portfolio because we have a range of products depending on the limit and depending on the services. And one thing we have a control on in case, let's say, certain amounts, certain levels of lending becoming quite expensive, we can always rebalance our portfolio. Potentially, it means we will leave some of the customers on the table, but at the same time, we have pretty good flexibility on managing our capital structure. Yeah, how much capital have you lent out that you that is now defaulted? You're not going to get it back. Um, below ten percent. Okay, so below a hundred thousand of the million. Yeah, that's pretty high, though. I mean, you, I mean, you want to be under three percent vintage default rate in these kind of businesses. Well, there is a difference between default rate and total loss rate in our case, right? Because people might have defaulted on repayment, but they still pay subscriptions, and they still legally owe us. Meaning that we actually have a good percentage of customers who go into default and then go back into good customers. So technically they could be in default and it's down to us actually to enforce them or not. And given that it's a gig economy workers with volatile income, there is very little benefit in enforcing it. So we're actually yeah. taking an approach more of being friendly, nurturing and getting customers back on track. In terms of total loss, actually, it's getting close to like 3%, which you're talking about. I see. How do you make sure... There's a lot of services like you. How do you make sure that the same gig economy worker doesn't apply for you guys and seven others at the same time? And all of um, you guys have now given them way too much debt. We see that bank account. So we see... Um, but the people the have multiple bank accounts. Okay. That's a really good question. So we require a couple... We require quite a lot of things on the back end, but the most important one, we need to be connected to the account where they're getting their main income. And across this account or several accounts, because we have functionality to um, connect across, reconcile several accounts, there should be certain um, expenditure visibility, meaning that above 70% of all the income they're getting, we need to see where it's spent on. Meaning nice. if they have one bank account and then they get income there and then transfer all the income to another bank account, they're not going to qualify. Because although we see the income, we do not see enough of the visibility on the outgoings. I see. That makes sense to me. And I guess the last question here before we wrap up, what what kills businesses like the one you're building is two things. One, yield compression, right? If a lot of money comes in and people lower their rates and there's no yield left for you to make. The second is CAC arbitrage. Can you keep getting customers cheaply so you can keep recycling really fast on larger and larger warehouse facilities? So how are you getting customers today? What is your CAC arbitrage today? Um, so we started with direct marketing because we're up only. Um, so there is no point in trying even before we do that other channels. So we've done Facebook, Google worked really well. Um, and we are starting to push more and more into B2B partnerships. Because if you think about it, it's a push-pull strategy. Let's say if we work, if we uh, have enough right hailing customers on our platform, then it becomes quite an obvious thing to do is go to this right-hailing company and effectively offer 
uh, that as employee benefit and we're getting more and more inquiries and pushes in this mm -hmm. regards so if you think about it we use direct marketing to generate the critical mass enough to be noticeable and have those specific groups um, clustered around specific employers and then go directly to employers to capture the residual employment um, base through the partnership angle so these massive marketplaces are good targets for you like fiber top tell also the right you know the ubers where there's thousands or hundreds of contractors is great for you too the problem that you're seeing here though is is if you partner with uber and do this for uber employees right to stream out the driver's revenue you know the income streams and uber will realize how big of a business this is this is why embedded finance is taking off so how Correct. do you compete against that over the long term when people just build your you internally themselves um that's actually a really good question at the end of the day it's still uh quite heavily regulated consumer credit business meaning the barriers for entry are quite high and you do carry underwriting and default risk meaning that you need to have a proper treasury collection and credit risk function so if you throw a lot of money in it throw a lot of people you can build it but actually what we've been noticing is that the businesses just prefer to outsource this function to any someone else and also from the reputational risk because a couple of companies try to do that and they had pretty bad publicity because effectively they get accused of putting people in the mode of slavery when you give the debt and you cannot leave this employer before you repay the debt they would rather have this relationship with a third party so they're not involved and I think that's a good hedge from that happening. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what, what is your CAC today to get a new $20 a month customer? Um, that's a good question. I think the average CAC for our across our product, let's say for the top product, we're talking at about 40 pounds CAC okay. fully loaded versus 200 and plus pounds annual uh, revenue. So yeah, yeah. So that, that works. Yeah, that math works uh, for, for now. That works. So how big can this be? If everything works out perfectly, how big can this be? So that's a really good question. So we're talking at the gig economy in the UK only of about 20 million. In the US, we're talking 80 million people who have income uh, volatility. But if you add additional services such as credit building, which, which started offering about a year ago, some overdraft protection, we can easily be helpful or useful in one form or another to about 70 or 80% of workforce, uh, basically excluding top, top paid office white collar workers who would not require any of those products. So yes. with that in mind, and given that it's fully automated, it could be instantly scalable. Yep. Well, I'm rooting for you. We'll see what happens in the meantime, though. Oh, like we're out of time. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite book? Uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Number Great two book. is... Is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, not really, but I am fascinated by Elon Musk and his combination of building a business, but being very vocal and controversial at the same time. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building steady pay? <sighs> Microsoft to-do list. Cannot live without <laughs> it. Number three or four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, I try to do at least six. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, kids? Uh, not married in a relationship, no kids. Okay. And how old are you? I'm 36. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh, God. Um, probably that the consequences are not as big and severe as you expect them to be. So just plan less and do more. 
Guys, there you have it. SteadyPay.co celebrating here on the podcast their 10,000th customer and breaking a million dollar run rate up from a $380,000 run rate just a year ago. Healthy growth. They also disclosed a seed round called 5 million bucks, sold between 10 and 20% of their business. Again, they're helping gig economy workers flatten out less volatility with their income streams by advancing them capital on down months and taking it back on up months. They make a little bit of spread on their warehouse facility, million dollar facility, 20% interest rate earned last 12 months on call at 13, 14% cost. That'll obviously grow margin uh, over time with that when that flywheel grows they're at negotiating right now for the next warehouse facility we will see uh, what happens with that in the meantime though Oleg, thanks for taking us to the top yeah my pleasure nathan thank you for having me